This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. We want you to continue to watch for the next little while as we discuss this subject, Moving Mountains. This is a Bible subject, so stay with me today. Moving Mountains. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course, and I, I cannot emphasize enough that this course is free. I realize a lot of things are offered today on television, and most times you have to pay for it, but not this Bible course. We send it to you free, and we want you to have it in order that you might know more about the course, not that you might know how to receive the course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read from Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, and then I have another reference that we'd like to read. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say unto you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. But nothing will be impossible for you. And now in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse number 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. No doubt one of the most beautiful things in God's creation are the mountains. I love going to the great smoky mountains. There's just a sense of the divine presence while you're there. I have seen the, the snow-capped Alps, and they are actually, they're, they're just awe-inspiring. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's anything more beautiful than mountains. But can you move one? Someone says, well, that's an impossibility. Well, you have heard of dynamite and bulldozers, haven't you? Yes, you can move a mountain. But in our lesson today, I want us to focus on some mountains that we have in our lives that we can move by faith. There's the mountain of fear. Psychologists tell us that we're born with two fears, the fear of falling and then the fear of noise. And then we begin to develop a lot of other phobias thereafter. There was one psychology class that was asked to list all of their fears. I'm told they listed some 7,000. This is a real mountain in the lives of some people. What is it that people fear? Well, some people fear failure. They don't want to fail. And they, don't ever, they never do anything because they're afraid if they try, they may be a failure. 
In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 25, the man who had received one talent said, I was afraid. That is, he, he was afraid he was going to be a failure. So he went and he hid his talent. Some are afraid of what is in the future. That, So far as they know, are concerned, it's just unknown. It's the unknown future. Well, we do not know anything about the future. We don't know who what the future holds. We just know who holds the future. In Proverbs 27 and 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for a man doth not know what a day may bring forth. So we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. There is no need for us to fear. And then some people fear responsibility. God made us as creatures who are, uh, who are accountable to him, and we are accountable because there are certain responsibilities that we have in life. I am convinced that one reason that there are multiplied hundreds and hundreds, maybe even up into thousands and thousands of children in America who do not have a father at home is because their father feared responsibility. So he just left them. And so there are those that do not assume responsibility in life out of fear. Some fear old age. Uh, David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. Then there are those that fear insecurity. They're just so afraid they, are not, they're, they're, they don't know what they're going to do when they get older in life. They feel so insecure and they're afraid. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches. There's no need for us to feel insecure when we have a God in heaven who can supply what we need. There are those that fear what others say, what others think, what other people might do. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall, shall uh, find hope. And so why are we want to be fearful of what other people say or do? Some people fear death. They are afraid of death. We can move these particular mountains in our life by putting our faith and our trust in God. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, put it well by saying, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Yes, you may have fear in your heart right now because of some particular uh, situation in life. But with faith in God, you can move that mountain. Now there's another mountain that, that uh, is a problem to some people, and it's called the mountain of worry. The age in which you and I live is an age of of frustration. That is, people are so frustrated and they're frustrated because they don't have a job. They're frustrated because they can't find a job. They're frustrated because they're about to lose their home. They're frustrated because uh, of maybe some relationship that's gone bad. All kinds of things that cause us to be frustrated. And frustration can lead to worry. Let me tell you some things that Jesus said about worry. All of this is found in your Bible in the sixth chapter of Matthew. First of all, Jesus said that it is unnecessary. And in Matthew 6, 32, he said, After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you 
need all these things. So it is so unnecessary for us to worry. Well, why is it unnecessary? Because God already knows what you need. Well, why are you worrying about something that God already knows about? It's really cruel for us to worry. Look in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither uh, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If God takes care of a bird, if he feeds a bird, incidentally, I've never heard of a bird getting an ulcer, having a heart attack. If God will take care of a bird, don't you really think God's going to take care of you? It's really cruel for you to be worrying. And it is also prohibited. In verse 25, Jesus said, do not worry about your life. In verse 37, uh, 31, he said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? In verse 34, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Three times in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the 25th verse, Jesus prohibited worry. Do not worry, do not worry, and do not worry. It is so futile to worry. Look in verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Which one can add 18 inches to your height? There's nobody that's going to be able by worrying to add a cubit to your stature. You say, well, I just don't think I'm tall enough. I wish I were taller. Well, there's no need for you to worry about it because you're not going to be able to add to it. It is futile. It is heathenish. It's just like a heathen to worry. In verse 32, he said, After all these things, the Gentiles see. He said, You're just being like a Gentile. That is, you're being like, to them, it was a heathen. You're being like a heathen to, to worry. And it is a lack of faith to worry. Look at verse 30. Now, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God will take the flowers of the field and clothe them in all of their radiance and all of their beauty, don't you believe God is going to take care of you? So, so you see, it is a lack of faith on our part when we worry. What we need to do is to take the worries that we have, turn those over to God. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, Casting all of your care on Him, for He cares for you. We ought to cast our cares on the Lord because the Lord is the one who's going to take care of us. If, if we will cast our burdens on the Lord, He will sustain us. Psalms 55 and verse 22. I made up my mind a long time ago, many years ago, that, that I just don't believe I'm going to stay up at night worrying about something. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that I've never had a sleepless night, but it wasn't because of worry. It may just been because I couldn't sleep. But I'm not going to stay up at night worrying about something. And there's no need. Because God's going to be up anyway. There isn't a need for both of us to stay awake. I'm going to turn it over to God. One, Paul Harvey once had this to say. The greatest deterrent to depression is prayer. And I'll tell you quite frankly, worry and depression go together. Let, let, listen to what the apostle wrote about worry in Philippians chapter 4 and in verses 6 and 7. He said in verse 6, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Don't worry about anything, he said. We ought to pray about everything. Have you ever worried about something? Let me ask you, did it change anything when you worried about it? You see, most of the things that we worry about never happen. They never happen. We worry about just about everything that you can imagine there is for a person to worry about. We worry about everything. We worry about little things, big things. We worry about things of the past. We worry about things we can't change. We worry about things that haven't happened yet. As a matter of fact, Many years ago, I read this definition given by a certain man. He said, worry is holding a mental picture of what you do not want to happen. How many of the things that you have ever worried about actually happen? Not many of them, if any of them at all. We can move the mountain of worry by putting our faith and our trust in God. But then there's the mountain of inertia. Now let me give a definition of inertia. Inertia is the tendency to remain in a fixed condition without change. When I think about that definition, it sort of puts a little smile on my face because it reminds me of some people I know. It seems as though they have remained in a fixed condition for years without any change at all. God never intended. He never intended for his people to remain in a fixed position. This is preacher talk. Here are two preachers talking. How are things where you're preaching? We're holding our own. We're just holding our own. Let me tell you, God never intended for us to hold our own. We're to be moving onward and upward. We need to, to listen to the advice given by the the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're not to be in a fixed condition without change. We're to be moving forward. We're being moving onward, upward. But the fact is, we do about what we've been motivated to do. Did you hear about a man being chased across a field by a bull? And he saw a tree, and he jumped to catch a limb of that tree, but he missed it. But he caught it on the way down. You see, that man was motivated. He was motivated. And most of us do what we've been motivated to do. In Matthew the chapter 25, there's the... There's three parables. There's the parable of the virgins, and especially the foolish virgins. There's the parable of the, of the talents, and especially the one-talent man. And that the parable of the sheep and the goats at the judgment, and particularly the goats. The reason the one-talent man, the goats, and the foolish virgins were lost was because of inertia. They just remained in a fixed condition without change. And the answer to inertia is an active faith. 
in James chapter 2, there are some interesting statements that have been made along this line. Start with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you, one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What good is it? Here's a person that's hungry, they're naked, that is, they need clothing to wear, maybe it's cold outside and they're in shirt sleeves. And you have the ability to help them. You have the ability to put some warm clothes on them. You have the ability to put some, some uh, food in their stomach. But they come to your door and you just say, well, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. He says, what does it profit? And he makes the point in verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. That's an active faith. It is an active faith. That is the answer to inertia. Right now, I'm speaking to some people who've been remaining in a fixed condition without change for years. Maybe as a father, maybe as a husband, you, that, that described you. Maybe, maybe as, a, as a member of the Church of Christ, that describes you. You've been in a fixed condition without change. You haven't changed in years. You haven't grown spiritually in years. And the answer to moving that mountain is an active faith. Well, let's look at another mountain that needs to be moved in our lives, and that's the mountain of inferiority. A middle-aged man lamented, I was born a failure. Friends, no one's born a failure. That's a self-made job. No one is born a failure. I read the story about a young man by the name of David Lachek. And, and he, his parents were told that he'd never run, he would never walk, he would never talk. His parents took him to one doctor after the other. And that's what these doctors told him. But there was a Dr. Pearlstein who had faith in David. He began to work with him. And David learned not only to talk and to walk, but in the account that I read of him, he, he learned to run six miles. He, he could do a thousand push-ups. And he could do a lot of other things. He, he did not feel inferior. I think it's a very tragic thing when God's people, of all people in the world, feel inferior. Two men were discussing a certain church and they said, this sure is a dead group. They had a loser's complex. They felt inferior. You remember when the children of Israel came to Kadesh? They were about to cross over into the promised land. 
And so they sent some spies over into the land. They sent 12 spies over into the land. Now the Lord had already given the land to them. All they had to do is go over there and take it. So they sent the spies over there. Ten spies came back and they said, we cannot do it. They're giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers up alongside of them. I think that was a grossly exaggerated report. Just imagine how small they would have to been to look like a grasshopper upside one of those giants. There were two spies who came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, we can do it. Let's go up at once. We should do it. But unfortunately, they listened to the report of the ten spies who said, we can't do it. And they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Hebrews tells in the book of Hebrews, the third chapter says, they, they entered not in because of their unbelief. Friends, we should never feel inferior. Never. At no time should we feel inferior. First of all, we've been made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. If you are Christian, you should not feel inferior because your blood redeemed. Now, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become one. And to become a Christian, you just need to do what people did in Bible times to become Christians. And they believed in Jesus Christ with all their heart. And they were taught to repent of their sins, that is, turn away from sin. They were taught to confess faith in Christ, and they were taught to be baptized into Christ, and they were taught to live a faithful Christian life. And once they had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, they had no reason at all to feel inferior. Ephesians 1 and 7 reads, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then another reason you should never feel inferior is that if you're his child, then God's on your side. And all the demons and hell cannot defeat you. Romans 8.31 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now you tell me why you should ever, under any circumstances, feel inferior. You should never feel inferior. But then there's another mountain that needs to be moved in our lives. It's the mountain of procrastination. You know, waiting can be disastrous. It was disastrous for Felix. He told Paul, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. You see, Felix had been taught the gospel by the Apostle Paul. Paul reasoned with him about righteousness and the temperance and, and the judgment to come. And Felix trembled and that's when he said, Not now, not now. When I have a convenient season, Paul, I'll call for you. And so far as we know, that season never came again. Waiting is disastrous. And procrastination has been fatal to every person who's lived in the shadow of this mountain. So someone wrote, On the plains of hesitation, 
lie the bleached bones of countless thousands who on the threshold of victory sat down to wait and waiting wasted and died. So many people have the philosophy, why do today what I can put off until tomorrow? Well, let me give you one good reason that you ought not to put it off until tomorrow. And that reason is found in Proverbs chapter 27 in verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for a man doth not know what a, man, what a day may bring forth. There may be a lot of things that you have intended to do. Maybe you've intended to go see a sick friend. Maybe you've intended to send a sympathy card. Maybe you've intended to start reading your Bible more. Maybe you've intended to start praying more. Maybe you have intended to be baptized. Maybe you've been listening to getting to know your Bible so long that you know that you need to be baptized into Christ. You, you know Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've been intending to do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've intended to be more active in the church. Maybe you've been intended to be a better daddy, to be a better husband, a better mother, a better wife. Maybe you've been intended to be a better student at school. But you see, that's just what your intentions are. I'd encourage you, do it now. Whatever your intentions are, do it now. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. You see, we need to become doers and not hearers only. Suppose you were offered a free vacation to the Bahamas and you're supposed to leave in the morning. How long would it take you to get packed? Oh, you say, I'd start slinging things together and I'd have my bags packed by midnight. I'm sure you would. You'd be ready to leave in the morning because you're getting a free vacation to the Bahamas. Well, why don't we do things for our spiritual lives with that same type of urgency? It's not what we intend to do that counts. It's what we do. Tomorrow may never come. And James chapter 4 says, what's your life? What is it? It's like a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Don't procrastinate when it comes to your soul. If you know Jesus is the Christ, would you repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3? Would you confess that you believe in Him? Acts 10, Matthew 10, 32 and 32, 33. Would you be baptized? Do it today. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at one 877 711 5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.